Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. More and more scientists think carbon capture is key to reducing CO2 emissions globally. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. That's the unexpected energy of ExxonMobil. On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, the NFL preseason is almost wrapped up, which means the NFL regular season is almost here. And to get you ready for it, we're going to be joined by one of the great comeback stories in the NFL this summer, Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup, who is lit it up in training camp and looks like he's all the way back from the torn ACL injury he suffered last season. And we'll be joined by the owner of Bomberito Performance, a sports training complex down in Miami, Florida, Pete Bomberito, who trains over a hundred NFL players and talks about who he thinks is poised to have a big NFL season. Pete joins us every year and gives us a real sneaky fantasy sneak preview. But first, the news of the weekend, the news of the season, Andrew Luck telling the Indianapolis Colts that he is walking away from the sport of football. Now listen, there's a lot to this in so many different ways. To start with, for those who didn't realize, the talks with Luck and the Colts started last Monday, and were going on all week long. And they knew during last week that Andrew was seriously thinking of retiring, a decision that he went ahead and followed through on. And later in the week, the Colts had a decision. They were debating whether to have Andrew Luck's retirement press conference on Friday afternoon or to wait until they got through their preseason game before he would hold the press conference at 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, August 25th. The Colts made the decision to hold the press conference Sunday, knowing full well that word could leak out eventually and that somebody could wind up reporting that Andrew Luck was retiring. And that is exactly what happened because Andrew Luck was telling select people, like he told Jacoby Brissett, the man who now takes over as the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, that he was retiring and walking away from the game. There weren't many players at all who did know, but there were a select few. And there were plenty who didn't. Because when the calls came in Saturday and the information came in that Andrew Luck was retiring and it was filed to ESPN and posted on Twitter and Instagram, at that point in time, I don't think I've ever had a reaction that that story generated to where literally... My phone buzzed 25 times instantaneously, and nobody believed the story. Had one general manager text me, liar, another one, is this made up, another one, is this a fake Adam Schefter account? There was a healthy dose of skepticism. When I heard the story initially, there was some skepticism. Could this be real? Is this real? And so everybody at that point in time was wondering whether or not it's real. And the reason it's so significant is because... Again, if Andrew Luck had retired one year ago, nobody would have been overly surprised. But he's coming off a year in which he went to the Pro Bowl. He was the comeback player of the year. The Colts were poised to compete for a Super Bowl title this year. He was back, and now he's not back. And now it's a situation where you're looking at arguably the most surprising retirement in NFL history. We've seen other ones that have taken place. And if you go back and look at them... Over time, basically, 
Jim Brown retired at the age of 29 when he led the NFL in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns in his final season. Barry Sanders retired from the NFL at the age of 31 when he was second in the NFL in all-time rushing yards at the time of retirement. Calvin Johnson retired at the age of 30 with 1,214 receiving yards and nine receiving touchdowns in his final season. And of course, Andrew Luck retires at the age of 21 with the most passing yards and the most passing touchdowns in his final NFL season in NFL history. And I think because Andrew Luck plays quarterback and because this team was poised to go to the Super Bowl or compete for a Super Bowl, that's what gives this story the juice that some of those other ones didn't. They were all huge in their own ways. All huge in their own ways. But Andrew Luck walking out now is amazing. Now, again, this is where he's at at this stage in his life. People have said, will he come back? And I don't know that you can say he will or he won't right now. We know he's done with football at this time. And Andrew Luck is a different kind of guy. He's a deep thinker. Is he going to come back? Maybe he feels like the time off will rejuvenate him, energize him. And maybe we will see Andrew Luck again. And maybe that's one of the reasons that the Colts had the financial settlement with Andrew Luck where they didn't make him pay back the $12 million that they gave him in March in roster bonuses. They didn't make him pay back the bonus money, the prorated portion of his signing bonus that some teams, we've seen it, some teams might have asked their players to do. The Colts didn't do that. They basically said, even though there's $24.8 million you could owe us, Andrew Luck, you keep it. We're not going to ask that for you. We're going to give this to you as a goodwill gesture, a parting gift, so to speak, for the time being. And maybe that's it for Andrew Luck, and maybe we will never see the 29-year-old quarterback play in an NFL uniform again, but maybe we will. And if we do, then again, he'll have some goodwill towards that organization, and if not, then the Colts sent him away with a parting shot. Those are some of my thoughts on Andrew Luck in a story and a weekend that had an unmistakable effect on the upcoming NFL season. But you know who else is going to have a big effect on this NFL season? Cooper Cup, the Rams wide receiver. And a short time ago, we sat down with Cup to talk about his return to football. The Rams' third-round pick from the 2017 NFL Draft, one of the finest receivers in football, a man who's battling back from a torn ACL, Cooper Cup. Cooper, thanks very much for joining us. How's camp going so far? It's going great. And it feels great just to be playing football again and getting back out here and competing. What is that like when you go and tear your ACL, which you did last year in Week 10 against the Seahawks on a play away from the ball, a few weeks after you initially hurt your knee in Week 6 against the Broncos when you were forced to miss the next two games? What has this whole process been like for you rehabbing that ACL? Yeah, well, I mean, it's tough. I, I mean, uh, it, you have so many guys here who love to compete, love to be a part of something like this, um, putting so much time working together and, you know, building a, a, a you know, rapport on the field and um, having to step, you know, be forced away from that and have to watch the guys. And, and really, I mean, for the first part of the injury, you, you are really helpless in terms of like you can't really – yeah, round on your own. You can't really be in meetings. You can't be out in the field. So you feel like any time, any way that you would have been able to help out, you know, you can't do that either. Um, and then, you know, obviously the process is just such a long, long thing, and there's nothing you can really do to speed it up. It's just a matter of time and, uh, you know, creating an environment in your body that 
it's conducive to healing. And um, luckily, I had a great team of guys around me that um, helped make that uh, as smooth as it could possibly be, and um, you know, gave me the opportunity to just come in and attack each day. What was the lowest point of that recovery process? Because I'm sure there are times when you're just grinding away. You don't want to do it anymore. You wonder if you can make it back. What was the lowest point there, Cooper? Uh, geez, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would say, honestly, it was pretty early on, kind of just um, maybe like a week or two just after the injury. Um, you know, we had Thousand Oaks where uh, we lived. Uh, and we had been through, the city had been through a lot. And we had the, the um, shooting. Uh, we had the fires and a ton of people were out of their homes. A lot of guys on the team were out of their homes. We were out of our home. Um, and then you get have the ACL injury. And so we were staying at, uh, you know, the doctor that did my surgery, we're staying at his house. Wow. We can't be at, be at our place. Um, so just being, my family's out of, out of our home. Um, I, I'm helpless. You know, my wife's having to carry the load for us, for our, our baby, who's three and a half months old at the time. Um, you know, just got a lot of stuff going on. That was probably, honestly, the low point. Um, just feeling like there's a lot of stuff. I was being a burden with no help at all, and just the stuff my family was having to go through at the time. Um, but you know, the after that though, I mean, it's all about looking forward. And, uh, you know, no point was there anything looking back on what could I have done better, what kind of things would I have done differently. It was all you know that forward thinking, the goal oriented thinking of you know let's set the goals, let's go attack these things and move them day in day out, um, so that I can get back here doing what I love. Did I hear you say that you stayed at your doctor's house? The, the doctor who performed the surgery? Yeah, so uh, the, yeah, the, the surgeon, Dr. Elitrosh, um, he, his family actually opened the home to us. And so we stayed there for actually, we stayed there for yeah, the first two weeks, um, actually. And then, um, you know, I just felt like we needed to get back up here, get back close to the facility. And um, we lived in a hotel for a little bit lived with Brandon Cooks and his wife for a little bit until our house was able to get opened back up for us. So your house is fine now? Yeah, no, we're good. Now, now, but what was that like living with your doctor? Like, is that the ultimate form of bedside service? Like, if anything's wrong with your <laughs> knee, that you just say, doctor, while you're sleeping in his house, something's wrong here. Yeah, no, uh, it, it was nice. I mean, he's uh, just having that, that kind of, you know, having the knowledge of someone that's um, performed a lot of these surgeries before of what to expect, how to deal with things throughout the day. Um, he actually had to have surgery the day after I had surgery, so he was back at home as well. So we just kind of sat around on the couch and watched TV and talked. So it was, it was good. He had surgery on his torn ACL the day after you did that he performed <laughs> no. it on you? <laughs> no, not his ACL. He had different surgery. But he, he, had to, he couldn't go to work, so he was stuck at home. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, boy, that, this is really getting strange there, Cooper. No. <laughs> what is that? What is that moment like for an athlete when you find out that you've a torn ACL? You hear those words? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like you kind of are alluding to, it's kind of the taboo thing. I think in sports, so when you say, you know, you kind of feel like, you know, it's one of those things. You, it's like the thing that no one wants to hear, um, obviously. But um, you know, you for me, it was kind of just. As soon as I found out, you know, Doc told me what it was. Uh, as soon as we got back into the locker room, um, it was really my head snapped to like, you know, I you had a decision to make. You have to, you're either going to move backwards, and you're going to think, well, these are what I could have done differently. I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I had done that. 
and um and really live in that in that element i just chose instead to move forward say okay well this is my reality the quicker i can realize that this is my life now this is where i'm at um the quicker i can move forward the quicker i can begin begin to uh, progress the quicker i can begin to put a plan uh together to get back and uh and so it, it wasn't easy to hear but for me i mean the 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 best thing for me was to just realize it, understand it, and then, you know, immediately start going into, okay, well, how do I, what's my diet going to look like moving forward here? What's the rehab plan? When do I want to be back? What does that timeline for an ACL recovery, where does it really put me? Where do we have wiggle room? How do we make this the best possible rehab situation for me? Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of the steps that took place, you know, within, you know, a minute of hearing what it was, it was like, okay, let's go. We got to figure this thing out and get things moving. You know, it's interesting because, again, you may have heard this before, and I don't mean to personalize this, but the injury takes precedence over it. But I, you were on my fancy team last year, and I loved watching you play. Loved watching you play. The productivity was unmatched. And you hurt your knee in week six against the Broncos. Do you think, and I remember wondering, people thought you were down and out at that point in time. Do you think your injury, your torn ACL that you suffered in Week Ten, was related at all to that injury that you sustained in Week Six against Denver? You know, it's hard to say. It's really hard to say um, with stuff like this. Like, you know, sure you can point back to that, but you know, who's to say this wouldn't have happened regardless mm-hmm. of that? Um, you know, these things that you know, these kind of things happen, um, and there's not a whole lot you can really do to prevent it. I mean, it's just you step wrong or something's just not right and and, and things will, will go. It's just a nature of the sport. And so guys play this game as if every play is their last and it's, it's the beauty of the game. Um, so, you know, for me, like I answered before, like because of the nature of my, you know, my process of moving forward on it, you know, I just gave myself no time to even think if that was a possibility. So, um, you know, kind of just leave it at that. Which brings us to today. And by all accounts, everybody who has watched you in training camp has been blown away by your progress at how strong you've looked, faster, stronger than ever before. Have you been surprised at all with the way training camp has felt for you and the way you've looked to others? Has it surprised you? Yeah, well, no. It's not, no. Um, This is, and I don't say that to sound arrogant. I just, you know, I believe that the process, things you do in preparation, um, fully prepare you, and you'll see the dividends of those things when it's time to go, when it's time to turn it on. And, um, you know, if I hadn't put the time in, if I hadn't worked over the last eight and a half, nine months to be out here today, if I hadn't put in that time and put in as much effort and collaboration with our training staff, with our strength staff, with our nutritionists, with all the people I worked with that were a huge part of helping me get to where I am today, if that wasn't there, and I was doing what I was doing today, then I would say I would be surprised. But because of the time we put in, because of what we did to make sure that this was, was going to become a reality, um, you know, I think I'd be doing myself and everyone that's been a part of this a disservice to say I'm surprised by it. You know, this was the, this was the plan from the beginning. This was the mentality we took through every step of this rehab. Um, and it's the same reason, you know, when people, you know, ask if you're surprised about, you know, how do you feel when you get to the end zone? How do you feel when you guys make plays? How do you feel? You know, you ask guys to make plays over and over again. They're not surprised they made plays because they prepared 
during the week they prepare their whole lives to go out there and make those plays to seize those opportunities and um you know i took that same approach now so you know being able to do what i do here now today and and, and continue to work towards you know I, I i can't say i'm surprised by by where we are and i'm sure you've heard the expression that many people believe think that players who tear their ACLs are better in their second year back, not their first year like you're going into right now. How would you respond to the people who have said and think that? Well, they, I mean, they're definitely entitled to think that, and uh, I'm sure there's plenty of examples of that happening in the past, and um, you know, you are entitled to think that, but I'm also entitled to think that we can do better than that as well, and, um, and that's the goal we're taking. I'm not, I'm not coming back here now to see if I can get back to where I was before it's about coming in here this year as if you know second year didn't happen and I'm you know progressing and I'm better than I was the year before it's all about moving forward I never want to be stagnant and I don't want to have any excuses for what might have kept me from improving from one year to the next so um, you know my mentality is not going to change regardless of what people say on that Uh, you know I I want to continue to progress and uh, be the best that I can be and better than the year before. Do you feel better right now than you did before you suffered the injury last season, Cooper? Um, I, I definitely feel like um, I'm, I feel more explosive off the ball. I feel like I'm moving better. I feel like I'm seeing the field well. Um, there's a lot of stuff to improve on, though. I mean, we're you know, two and a half, you know, coming up close to three weeks into camp. Um, and there's still a lot, of, a lot of things to improve on. You know, I don't think anyone – right now would say they're in mid-season form. That's the reason you go through this camp. You make sure you're putting the time uh, to prepare yourself for that. So um, there are things to improve on, continue to work on, um, but I think we're turning in the right direction. What advice would you give to other people, other players, who suffer torn ACLs? Uh, I'd say as much as you possibly could, as much as you're allowed and possibly allowed to push it, Try to collaborate. Try to be a part of the rehab. Um, you know, ask questions, make suggestions, and um, and uh, but but ultimately, you gotta trust your trainers. You gotta trust the people that are putting you through it. Um, but you know, I, I never I never wanted to just be doing something just to do it. I want to know why. I want to know the purpose behind it, and um, how it was going to make me achieve the goal at the end of the day. And because you know, there, it might be a great idea. You know, an extra might be a great idea. But if it doesn't pertain to me and my position and improving my leg, my knee, my you know, um, uh, the, my ability to understand where my body's at in space, um, you know, proprioception, um, if it doesn't make sense for me as a receiver, then you know, how can I say, okay, well, let's do that. Like, well, let's do this exercise, but I want to do it this way because that's going to pertain to me. That's a movement that I'm going to be doing. And something that'll be beneficial to me when I do get back. Um, and so, just, just that's just an example of something where, you know, taking that into your own hands and being able to collaborate with the people around you to do what's best for you ultimately in your body. Did anybody who had suffered a torn ACL give you uh, words of wisdom that stayed with you, that resonated with you during the course of your recovery, Cooper? Um, you know, I, there's a few people you know, I had a Buddy of mine from a buddy of mine from high school, a really good friend of mine, had gone through in college, and you know his whole thing was just trusting, trust the trainers, trust the people that are putting you through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, former a couple of different former players just reached out and just said the, you know, just the encouragement of like you're gonna be back, I and mean, don't let it get you down. 
you're going to get back, you're going to be able to do your thing. So um, I think just between the encouragement and just being able to hear guys saying just stick your nose in the ground and do what you're supposed to do um, was kind of just something that resonated with me. Did I hear you say that you changed your diet during your recovery as well? Yeah, so that was something um, That was something I kind of – one, I'm pretty – I want to be careful about what I put in my body, obviously. I want to be, make sure I'm on point with that stuff. I think it's something that's kind of untapped. Um, in the sports performance world, just nutrition, just with the food we eat every single day. Um, my wife's very into it. She helps a ton with this. But uh, the first four or five months of the rehab process was um, basically did intermittent fasting where I have 16-hour fasts every day um, and feed for an eight-hour period. And, you know, it's all, it's all basically about making an environment within your body that is the most conducive as possible to treat and allow for healing to happen. Um, you know, with an ACL thing, anytime your body is repairing or, um, you know, you have an injury to ligaments, tendons, things like that, um, there's a time process. It's hard to speed up anything because your body just has a natural process of taking care of that. But creating an environment where it can work as efficiently as possible, reducing inflammation, things like that, um, I just wanted to make sure that I was doing everything I could to create that environment uh, for myself. So you were fasting in 16-hour cycles. Did you change the food you consumed at all, or is that the same? No, you try, I mean, try to stay similar to that. I mean, obviously, you don't want to. It's definitely something I learned, you know, within the first two days. Like, okay, you come off the 16-hour fast. You can't just go and stuff your face because you're hungry. you got to, you know, feel like, you know, you have to control what that eight hours of eating looks like and, um uh, you still want to, I, I mean, for me, I, I still, you still want to get a good amount of calories in, but there's a, I think there's a great balance to it based on the rehab, you know, what part of rehab you're in, you know, the first month of rehab, I mean, ACL is much different than fourth, fifth yeah. month. Um, and so I think it all just kind of matches up with, you know, how that looks. Whatever you did work, because again, the people that have seen you out there, they're blown away by what they have mm-hmm. seen. What are we going to see from the Rams' offense this year? What is different? What has stood out to you about being different than we've seen in other years? I think it's just ownership uh, among everyone that's out there, not just you know one or two individual guys, but just as a as a whole team. We step on the field, everyone having ownership of the concepts, um, wanting to be able to understand more than just what your own role is in the play, but being able to understand you know what everyone else is doing, where things can. Uh, get open where you can get open and where you can create space for other guys and um, I think that's just been the biggest thing is just that continuity has helped obviously but you know guys willing and able to uh, learn things and, and be able to hold them in and be able to execute when things show up and the defense presents a look be able to solve the problems on your own and um, you know make things as efficient as possible for us as an offense. As smart as you are about football and as analytical as you are about injuries, and I can just hear it in your words, is going into coaching something that you aspire to do one day? <laughs> uh, yeah, to the chagrin of my wife, I'd say I would love to coach. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the okay from the missus on that one, though. It's, it's a lot of hours, Cooper. It's a lot of hours. <laughs> it is. You know, I would, I would really love to coach. I think it will probably end up being coaching my son's 
team. So, <laughs> well, listen. If you're back the way that we think you're back, and the offense is humming the way we think the offense is going to hum, then you're going to produce big numbers again. You're going to get a big contract. You're going to make enough money that you don't have to coach one day and put in those money outs. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't think they. Yeah, last I heard, there's not a there's not a very good pay scale for pop Warner coaches out there. So, hopefully, you know, get to that point. Well, that, that's the idea of making the money right now while you can, Cooper. And before I let you go, I should ask you, your staff, your organization has produced so many head coaches here. It's like the Sean McVay Midas touch, which has become something of a cliche here. We saw one of your coaches last year uh, go on to coach the, well, we we saw one of your coaches, uh, Zach Taylor, leave to go coach the Cincinnati Bengals, Matt LaFleur, who used to work in your organization, has gone on to become the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Give me a coach on your staff now who it won't surprise you if he becomes the next Sean McVay disciple off his coaching tree that lands a head coaching job. <laughs> that is a very difficult question because I think there's I think there's more than one. I think there's a lot of guys who are very uh, blessed to be surrounded by some very talented coaches. Um, you know, each and every day having guys that come in and work the way they do and have a knowledge of the game. And, um, you know, it, it's a pretty special thing. So I'm going to have to pass on this one because I, I don't know if I can give you one. I, I feel like there's a, there's a quite a few guys on this team that, um, you know, could definitely move on and, and do some great things. That's a very politically correct answer there, Cooper. That's very good. <laughs> Thank you. You're, you're an excellent rehabber and a, and a very smart uh, answerer of questions as well. Hey, Cooper, I want to thank you very much for taking time, pulling for you to get back the way you are, have another huge season, lots of luck in the coming year. I appreciate it, Adam. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, joining us now, the man who runs Bomberito Performance down in South Florida, Pete Bomberito. Pete, thanks for taking the time. We'd love to do this every year. And for those who don't know, we love to get on Pete because Pete trains. How many players down there, Pete? I mean, we trained well over 200 this uh, past off season. Okay, so we have a man who watched and trained over 200 NFL players. And so we had the idea a few years back, and we've made this an annual tradition, to get Pete on the line, because I would do this anyway, and I would say, Pete, who do I want to draft on my fancy football team? And so now, rather than me having that information by myself, we get Pete on the line to talk about what he saw from his 200 players and who he thinks is going to have a big season. So, Pete, what do we think? Let's open it up. Give me your opening thoughts here on the season ahead. Well, I mean, as we talked about... uh 
a few days ago. I mean, the one guy that was shocking, I guess he's not a, a, an unknown, but James Conner was, uh, was very impressive. I was highly, highly impressed. This is the first offseason a chance to work with James. Uh, he got recommended down by uh, Le'Veon. And I thought it was, uh, he was incredible. He was, uh, I mean, even though I know he's a great player because he made the Pro Bowl last year, I mean, just what he was able to accomplish uh, throughout the offseason was, was amazing. So I think he he could be one of the best, if not the best, running backs uh, out there. So, yeah, what, I, would, I drafted him first. What stood out to you about James Conner? I mean, his speed. I didn't know he was that fast. I really don't. I mean, you know, obviously I, I, I kind of pay attention when I first – meet a client what they ran when they came out um he looks like he's a lot faster than that let's put it that way um and just the way he responded to everything i mean the most amazing thing about him is he bought in across the board not just trained hard but as i always say trained smart did the nutrition the recovery the regeneration uh the sleep patterns i mean literally every single thing that we have in my facility he bought into like it was gold and you saw a, a transformation like he came in great but when he left yeah just the overall speed his ability to to cut and not lose speed on his hard sharp breaks I mean, it was amazing the interesting part about that is the way that james connor got to you was Le'Veon bell so you were training Le'Veon bell and the man that's going to replace him in pittsburgh and james connor is that accurate that these guys kind of came to you or well, that, that Le'Veon brought james to you well, definitely. I mean, Le'Veon would, would told me about James, uh, you know, when he first got there. He was like, "Hey, you got to get this guy down." And I, I spoke with James, uh, you know, early in 2019, and just said, "Yeah, man, you came highly recommended by a lot of guys." Le'Veon told me all about you. I definitely want to kind of follow the same pattern and the same uh, system he's been in. It's given so much success, you know. So, um, and that's not that's not uncommon. I get a lot of people that were recommended by some of my top players, like a Le'Veon, had a lot of success with me. So. Um, it was definitely uh, not uncommon. It was great. It was great seeing all those guys in the facility at the same time. Now, having trained Le'Veon, you've seen him more than anybody else the last few years. We haven't seen him on a football field. How is he going to respond? Will his body hold up? How is that all going to work out for him? Take him in the high first round. <laughs> he looks tremendous. I mean, he was basically a ripped up 218 by the time camp started. And uh, I think... Uh, you know, but don't underestimate Le'Veon Bell. He's got, he should have the best year of his career. Why do you say that? I mean, just he, he looks fresh. He looks great. He, look, he looks as good as he always looked. I think people are going to underestimate him. Um, I think that uh, I don't think the change of scenery is going to matter much. I mean, obviously, I don't know enough about, like, offensive systems in football to see yeah. how it's going to compare. But I just know him as a player and what he's able to do. I mean, I'd, I'd take – Connor and Bell, one, two. <laughs> I really would. What, so would you go Connor ahead of Bell there? <laughs> Not I don't know if I'm get myself in trouble by doing that. <laughs> but you love, you, if I was doing it, I wouldn't have the top pick in the draft, and I would just take the one that's left over at number two. Yeah, you love, But you love both backs, and you think both backs are poised to have a big season. That's fair to say. Yeah, right? obviously Le'Veon's been my guy forever. It was my first sleeper pick way back with you when he first came out. So uh, it's always my guy. But I tell you what, they're both very impressive. Is there a running back that you, another running back besides James Conner, or a guy coming into the league that you could recommend the way that you once recommended Le'Veon to me? Um, to have that type of a breakout, I mean, it might be tough. I mean, I tell you what, I mean, I don't know what people think of Jordan Howard. 
Um, I mean, he was my sleeper pick three years ago when he first came out, if you remember. But um, I think he's going to have an, um, an outstanding season. I really do. The change of scenery is going to be good. And I think he's really going to tear it up. He's never looked leaner and faster than what he looks right now. I mean, somebody really lit a fire under his butt because he had an amazing, amazing, by, by far the best offseason he's had with me. And I think that couple with Philadelphia's offense, I mean, I think uh, uh, Jordan Howard should go high and have a, have a breakout year across the board. The other running back that you mentioned to me, which was interesting, was Devin Singletary, rookie running back. Yeah, that's well, that's great because, yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, Frank Gore, uh, LaShawn McCoy, and Devin Singletary all trained in the exact same facility, exact same group, uh, Singletary is recommended down to us by Frank, um, as a lot of people recommended down to us by Frank. And, yeah, I think that uh, it's going to be hard to share carries because I think all three of those guys uh, could really put up some solid numbers. What are, what are people going to see from Devin Singletary for those who have not seen him run in the NFL yet? I mean, he's so quick. He is so quick. I mean, he's, he's definitely the, the label of, you know, more quick than fast. Yep. Um, but just his ability to, to, to break, watching him do running back drills. I mean, we can get him with our running back coach here. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's truly amazing to watch. Uh, he's, he's, I think, a lot better athlete than people give him credit for. And I know some people talk about his height and the level of competition. I don't think any of that stuff matters. I really don't. I mean, he looks like a little Maurice Jones-Drew. He really does. A little Maurice Jones-Drew. Boy, if he could be that in the NFL, that would be great for the Buffalo Bills and great for the people who draft him in fantasy football as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other guy I think that uh, is going to have a, an amazing year is Dalvin Cook. You know, he came in, really wanted to work on his speed. Um, and, yeah, you know, you definitely saw the flashes of, you know, I remember him from high school, uh, how fast he was. And he had the, the unfortunate injuries, but this is a, an off season where he was really, really able to put it all together. I think he's going to have a big year. Um, I also like, you know, Gus Edwards, Latavius Murray. Those are kind of under-the-radar guys, but um, especially Latavius. I think he's going to have a solid year as well. You know, I'm going to go back for Dalvin Cook for one moment because earlier in this podcast we had on Cooper Cup, who's coming off a torn ACL, and I had asked him about the idea and the philosophy that many people subscribe to that it takes players coming back from a torn ACL two years to actually get back. The first year they can get back and they'll be good, but they won't be as good as they are in their second year, though Cooper Cup has looked phenomenal during camp. Do you sense that there is some truth to that with Dalvin Cook, who tore his ACL's rookie year, came back last year, was a good player, believe me, really good player, but that he could be even better this year? He's definitely going to be better this year. I can't attest to last year because this is the first offseason I work with Dalvin as well. Um, definitely came down with that same kind of thing, like I want to get back to my elite speed. You know, he bought into my absolute speed training, which I think is highly underrated with running backs. I don't think it takes two years. I think that if you have a solid break where you can really focus on the body, get away from football, get the body realigned and really focus on joint alignment and get back to high-intense, resisted, assisted complexes with speed training, I don't think it takes two years. I think it takes 12, maybe 14 months to get back to top speed. It just depends on when you tear it and how much time you're going to have to work on it outside of football. You know, and, and Dalvin even said, like, it was the first offseason. I was really able to just kind of focus on just getting my body back to what it needs to be. And, uh, yeah, his speed looks amazing. How would you compare Dalvin to a guy like Le'Veon or a guy like James Conner, who you obviously feel incredibly strong about? 
I mean, they're just they're just different backs. It's hard to compare. It really is. And I don't want to get myself into trouble because I love these guys. I mean, yeah. I develop good relationships with all of them, so it's it's hard to compare. Um, I would say that uh, you know Dalvin's definitely got that that elite breakaway speed. Hmm. Let's go into wide receiver, Pete. You had a number of wide receivers. Give me a wide receiver who stood out to you that you trained this offseason. Yeah, Allen Robinson. Yeah, that's my guy right there. Again, I'm going to the guys that um, you know I trained for the first time this offseason. Um, he had very, very, very specific goals and things he wanted to accomplish overall with his game. Um, you know, and speed was the premium, and he just said, he's like, you know, I had some unfortunate issues you know from an injury standpoint from a health standpoint things like that and he's like i just heard you're the guy to go to to um you know kind of put it all together and get the body aligned so it can maximize his full genetic potential i think he's gonna have a monster year i mean i'm real real high on alan robinson and the other guy that was extremely impressive was curtis samuel from the panthers um you know those are the two guys i was i was extremely impressed with what stood out about Samuel? His speed is insane. I'm, I mean, when we talk about it, and that was the thing. He's like, you know, I'm not coming here to get faster. Uh, I just want to make sure I can control it. And that was a key thing. It was the same almost exact statement that Tyreek Hill made to me last year. You know, these guys are already fast. There's a difference between running fast and running fast than an efficient stride. And that's that it, no matter what anybody says, it's a trainable effect and it can be taught and it can be implemented. You know, you can easily make a fast guy run more efficiently. And I think that, you know, overall from just how his body's able to recover now from high intense wide receiver sessions or speed sessions, um, I think that's the key. You know, put those guys on a field and obviously injuries are gonna happen. Football's football. But the key is can you limit or eliminate the non contact injuries and just get the body to recover better. And uh, I think that we implemented those systems with those guys, and I think they're going to take off. They obviously uh, have all the skills as a wide receiver. The key now is just maintaining that elite speed for the entire course of the season and making sure the body recovers well. You know, you, you, you trained Tyreek Hill, correct? Yeah, he came back this offseason as well. And we'll get him in a moment, but would you say that Curtis Samuel's speed, even – remotely resembles Tyreek Hills, and I don't think there's anybody faster than Tyreek Hill in the NFL. Is there anything? Does Kurt, yeah, I, Curtis it, able it's to hard to say, because you're right. I mean, I've never seen anybody faster than, than Tyreek Hill. I've just I've never seen it. Um, but, you know, we're talking about a guy who legitimately run, you know, high 4-1, low 4-2. I mean, Tyreek Hill's speed is, is as good as I've ever seen. So it's hard to make anybody's comparison to that. But I tell you what, I mean, Curtis Samuel is a, is a close second, let's put it that way. He's, he is fast. A close second. Yeah. Now, Tyree Kill was forced to stay away from the Chiefs during the offseason. You're obviously working with him. What did you see from him and the type of shape and the expectations he'll have for this season, Pete? I thought he was great. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't get to see him until the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he came in, um, you know, it wasn't like it didn't look like he lost a step, let's put it that way. You know, he trained like he always trained, and that's 100 miles an hour. He does everything we ask him to do, recovers well. And, yeah, I think, uh, I think. I mean, he. everybody already knows he's going to have a big year. And, and I don't think uh, anybody should be worried about him as well. He's going to have a big year. What was it like when you saw him run for the very first time? I mean, it's, it's amazing. It is. I mean, it, you just don't see guys built like that with that type of turnover. You know, guys built like that usually can accelerate well, cut well, things like that. 
But that second gear is hard to do unless you have a track body. He doesn't have a track body, but he is so strong that he's got like a track style turnover built like that. That's what makes him so special. I just, I physically have never seen that before. We've gone over running backs, we've gone over wide receivers. In your group of 200 plus players that you trained during the offseason at Bomberito Performance in Miami, Florida, are there any tight ends that you worked with that you feel confident will have a big season this year? 100% hands down, Jordan Reed. He is ready. And this is the offseason that we had that we're able to train. And that's the thing, man. I mean, when you have issues like a toe issue, um, it's, it, it becomes difficult. It becomes difficult for anybody. You know, those are, those are the types of injuries that are hard to prevent. Sometimes it's just a luck of the draw, but this is the off season where he came down and trained his butt off all summer long and looks outstanding. He looks as explosive and as fast as I've ever seen him. So I know people always worry about talking about Jordan Reed. And I talk about him a lot, but this is the season he's going to put it together. I, I, I would make a guarantee on that. Wow. You know, what's interesting about that. I've always drafted Jordan Reed and I've known about him since he came into the league. He came highly recommended in terms of fantasy and every year I draft him, and after a while, with all the injuries, Pete, it just get, it wears you down. And I'm sure it wears him down mentally that he's got to fight through all these injuries. But you sound like the people in Redskins camp sound like this summer, that for whatever reason, he's healthier, he's stronger, he's better than ever before. Is it just that he was able to train during the offseason or something that he did that enabled him to be this way? Yeah, I think it's just to the point where when he came to me in the summer, he came literally right after they broke camp and trained all the way up in the camp. It was just the amount of time he was actually able to spend training. And I think people underestimate that. Sometimes it's difficult when you have issues and injuries. And with the toe or a foot, it's hard to train. It is. It's hard to get back to the elite speed. I mean, the main thing about him is, you know, he's built like a tight end and, and obviously plays tight end, but he runs like a running back. I mean, that the, the low center of mass and things like that and how strong he is out of his breaks, it's, it's a sight to see. From an athletic standpoint, I mean, he's as elite as it gets, and I think he's going to have a monster year. And the other guy always is going to be Greg Olson. I think people should not underestimate Greg Olson. You know, he came down to me again, looks great. I think he's ready to, to, to really put it together as well. So I think those are two known guys, obviously two former pro bowlers, but I think they're going to be vastly underrated, So there, especially Jordan Reed. So there are Pete Bomarito's recommendations from a fancy standpoint for the season. James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Dalvin Cook, Devin Singletary, Allen Robinson, Curtis Samuel, Jordan Reed, Greg Olson. Anybody we're missing before I let you go get back to Bomarito performance in Miami, Florida, Pete? We definitely have to put my guy James Washington on the list. Okay, when we're going to talk about that's probably my true sleeper because this is a guy. I mean, all the other guys I named obviously have had a lot of success. James Washington is ready. All I got to say is look out. Um, I mean, he looks outstanding. I obviously trained for the draft last year. He didn't get a chance to really work with me in the offseason, but he came back strong February, March, uh, April, June, July. He is amazing. His speed, he's got the perfect wide receiver body, the perfect wide receiver mentality. And I think Pittsburgh is going to be, I think, ridiculous with James Conner, James Washington. Wow, James Washington, who, by the way, 
did not seem to get out to a strong start in training camp, but lit it up in the first preseason game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And now he's got the Pete Bomarito stamp of approval, which certainly carries some weight as we head into the start of the 2019 regular season. For sure. All right, Pete, thanks so much again. Always appreciate it. Always tremendous and different insight. And for those who want more information about Pete's program, Bomarito Performance, Miami, Florida, Pete Bomarito is the BPS owner. Thanks so much, Pete. Thanks, Adam. Always a pleasure. And so there's some fantasy insight from Pete Bomarito, the owner of Bomarito Performance Sports in Miami, Florida, which trains over 200 NFL players every offseason. Pete supervises their workouts, sees what these men are and aren't doing, and knows which players are poised to have a big season. And a special thanks to the Rams wide receiver, Cooper Cup, who you could just hear is so analytical in the way he approached his recovery, just like he's analytical in the way he plays football. It's one of the reasons that he has so much success getting open and has developed into Jared Goff's favorite target. Tremendous work from Cooper Cup and Pete Bomarito, and thank you to the listeners of the Adam Schefter Podcast. Please join us again next week as we get closer to the start of the NFL regular season. Have a great week, everybody.